Well, good evening, Cross family. Uh, my name is Rick. I'm the pastor of Student Ministries here at the Cross Loganville, and welcome to Wednesday Night at the Cross. Uh, when Tim asked me to speak tonight, I was especially excited to do it uh, because we the timing's perfect. We just finished uh, our eight-part series uh, for the student ministry. I'm happy to be able to share some of it with you and to review for them. Uh, the title of that series is called Following Jesus While in Lockdown. All the messages are on the CSM YouTube channel. Uh, in case you want to reference any of those. But the reason we gave it that title was for a few reasons. One, if you'll remember eight to ten weeks ago, um, and there was shelter-in-place suggestions and orders and whatever it was, this was so extremely new and uncertain to everybody and wanted to give a feeling of a, a stable flexibility, right, that we can follow Jesus while in lockdown. One of the biggest assumptions of this message is that even when times are weirdest, when they're really enjoyable, when they're really difficult, there's absolutely always a chance to learn to deal with your circumstances in the way that Jesus would if he was in your specific position, um, with the reward being your character becoming more aligned to his. We say uh, the motive for discipleship is to become like Jesus so that you can like Jesus, which may not sound that important, but I would absolutely affirm that it is the lack of enjoyment of God, it's the lack of agreement and esteem of God that causes, if not every single problem uh, in human life, um, at least contributes to all of them or makes the healing of them much slower, right? So that was one of the big messages we wanted to send by titling it this. Uh, the other thing is that uh, one of my, I think one of the most insightful things I've heard is Eugene Peterson saying uh, on discipleship, he said that Peter and Judas followed Jesus for three years on foot, right? And then in the critical moment, um, Judas, Judas sells Jesus out for money. I mean, this is like especially bad, right? But then Peter runs away as well. And so even though they had a chance that none of us are going to have, like they actually were physically with him, heard his teaching, saw the miracles, what Peterson says is the following did not get into them, right? And didn't get deeply into their character, and um, he says, praying is how we get the following into us. And that can be done. It is possible to follow Jesus while not being able to go anywhere, right? And so, again, what it means, the way I'm defining it, is learning to just deal with whatever circumstances you have as he would in your position. Um, the goal isn't perfection in any way. It is to align our character with his so that uh, we can re reduce friction between us and God, increase cooperation and confidence in Jesus as we do these things. So uh, I've told the students that this series on one level is my least favorite because it's weird talking to your phone and filming and it's weird not having your students there. But on another level, I'm very happy uh, with what we've been trying to do because we've had conversations that are directly about figuring out what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. The conversations I've had with them are just phenomenal. And so uh, I've learned a lot from them um, figure things out and figuring out where they are is really important too. So one of the uh, questions that I asked them that I can't believe it took me so long to ask this question, but I think it's helpful no matter what age you are. It's one I have to ask myself, but I would ask you to, you know, be reflective uh, in response to these questions. I asked my student leaders, um, do you consider apprenticeship to Jesus, being a student of Jesus, one of three things? Do you consider it the greatest opportunity that is ever available to human beings ever? Or is it something that 
is probably a nice thing to do. Eventually, when I'm older, you know, I've had some fun in life, or when my more pressing concerns have lightened up a little bit, I'll get to it eventually. Or third, is discipleship to Jesus an absolutely terrible idea? And I certainly don't want to go to hell after I die. I want to go to heaven after I die. I want to have a relationship with God. I don't want to offend him, but I also don't really want to learn to do things as he would in my position, right? This is the questions we asked, and variety of answers, and it's, it's helpful to know. But uh, I like to kind of give responses for each one, right? I think that the reason that being a student of Jesus really is the greatest opportunity in human life, no matter what your current picture of the good life is, is because it is the framework in which we learn to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus said that's the most important thing we could do as far as the law is concerned. There's a reason for that. It's because if you love God with absolutely every part of you, you desire God's desires, and none of us, uh, as far as you can understand them, right, doesn't mean that you're foolproof or won't make mistakes, um, but I think we can all agree the best thing for the planet Earth, the best thing for our relationships with people, the best thing for our fulfillment, being filled to all the fullness of God, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 3, this would be the greatest quality of life, best state of society, best practice of getting along that's ever come around. That does what the law, what laws top down can't do, right? It changes our character. And this is the chance we have as we become a student of Jesus. I've said before that if you love anybody even a little bit, you are to some degree their student. You have to be. I mean, if you're with someone you love, you learn uh, to like what they like, or at least know what they like. And sometimes you do learn to like what they like. Tim mentioned once that Brendan Manning told a story about a guy um, who says, I love you to another person. And he says, what hurts me? And he says, I don't know. And he says, you can't tell me you love me unless you know what hurts me, right? So if you love somebody, it doesn't matter who it is, learning about who they are is just, it's a natural part of it, right? Uh, Secondly, something we'll eventually get to, um, it makes sense, I get it. Um, The gospel has often been presented in a way, Dallas Willard says, that does not automatically make disciples. It seems like in addition, for whatever reason. Maybe it's kind of presented as a way to pay God back or alleviate some guilt or prove to yourself that you're worthy of Jesus' sacrifice. It's none of that, right? It is simply for learning to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength so you can live the abundant life that Jesus came to bring. And then finally, um, there are people who just think it's a terrible idea, right? Why would I want to be like Jesus? You do know he died on a cross, right? I mean, like, even if we have a relationship with God, we might be slow to some of the things Jesus taught about self-denial and everything. Um, I heard uh, something pretty offensive, you know, a few years ago that I'm going to share. I'm giving you a little warning here. Um, But the reason I'm going to share it is because I think that it's something church people should think about, right? Even if you've been attending church, been a Christian for 40 years, we need to think through this reservation. Even though it came from an atheistic person, I think that um, it can apply to a lot of Christians. A comedian said one time, he said, the other day, um, a friend of mine asked me if I thought Jesus or Buddha uh, was smarter. And he says, you mean smart enough not to die on a cross, right? I mean, that's, so you had some uncomfortable laugh from the background, whatever. But the assumption is, the assumption that he had is that to sacrifice one's life isn't intelligent, right? I mean, that's what that means. Two days ago, we celebrated Memorial Day. And that is a holiday that says the exact opposite, right? To lay down your life out of love for your neighbor um, might just be one of the most 
fulfilling things anybody could do, one of the best examples you could have, right? And so I would say, interrogate yourself. What about following Jesus does make you uncomfortable? Because there's plenty, for sure, and that's fine, but just name the things they are. Is it a lack of trust in Jesus's wisdom? Is it um, that you're afraid you're not going to you know, look as respectable. I mean, whatever it is, it's helpful just to know and to name it, interrogate it, and then bring it to the Lord in prayer. He wants to help you with this. Um, Secondly, uh, I talked to the student leadership team and said, uh, shared a model with them that I'm about to hear. I think it helps with our discipleship. If you're a parent, this will help you when you're dealing with kids who don't want to cooperate. If you don't plan on being a leader ever, but do want to manage your own life well, I think that this is a very helpful model as well. But I came across something a few years ago that was called the four reasons why people don't do uh, what you ask them to do. So Jesus is asking us to be his disciples. That's what he says. He goes up to people and says, follow me. And that is an invitation that he extends to all of us. The question is, why wouldn't we do it? Well, there's four reasons why people don't do things normally, okay? And it could be a combination, whatever. But this gives us a framework to begin to interrogate our doubts about this. Uh, The first one is... In some situations, someone couldn't do what you're asking them to do, right? And Jesus does say in John 15 that without him, you can do nothing. And so, okay, let's get that one out of the way. If we don't have a relationship with Jesus, not only can't we be his disciple, but I can't imagine a legitimate and enduring reason to keep up with him, right? Um, So, yeah, if you have no relationship with Jesus, you can't, right? Um, He's the one that brought it up, not me. I'm not trying to, you know, be difficult or anything. Um, but the second one is that oftentimes when you're asking somebody to do something and they don't want to, it's because they don't know what you want or they have a misunderstanding. So reflect on this in your life. Think about all the tension you've had with friends or kids or spouses or whatever. Oftentimes you just want something that you haven't expressed in a way where people understand. Okay. And with discipleship, there's a ton of confusion. A lot of people, Dallas Willard does a lot of work to kind of clarify this because he would say this isn't a super christian thing this isn't the higher level of being a christian it certainly doesn't mean perfect i have found it the most freeing because to call yourself a student of jesus implies built into that phrase is admitting i don't have it together i'm not even necessarily successful i'm enrolled and i'm learning right and the goal again the goal isn't necessarily to get the right answer and do the right thing all the time, but to learn to begin to think that way, to cooperate with Jesus. And eventually, this will happen, right? You will become wiser and more skillful. Defining terms is important. I read something the other day that said that bats are mammals, right? Things flying around the sky, kind of dive bomb you, freak you out, whatever. They're mammals. And major league hitters use bats to hit 90-mile-an-hour fastballs. I think it's really crazy that ball players... Uh, hit fastballs with mammals. I mean, like, that's just really kind of cruel, right? We have to define our terms. Obviously, that's not what that means, uh, but you can think of different big, contentious societal arguments. People talk past each other all the time because they just don't have the same picture of what's being talked about as the person they're talking to. And so having a real clear idea of what discipleship is, to learn from Jesus how he would live your life in your position, not just reading the Bible or just praying or just doing a set of do's, but remaining present with Jesus, your teacher, um, is the core of what it is. And the reward is to be with 
in a more enjoyable way with him. Uh, the third reason people don't do uh, what they're asked, whether it's Jesus asking or your boss, whoever, sometimes it's just that you don't want to, right? You do understand, and for whatever reason, and obviously in certain cases, it just doesn't line up with what you're doing, whatever. But when it comes to Jesus, um, we just don't want to, right? And what is that? That is um, oftentimes that our values flat out convict with, uh, conflict with his. That's the major thing that a discipleship does is reduce the clash of values and assumptions that we just don't share with Jesus and make it very difficult to hang with them. For instance, um, you know, the, James talks about how uh, the demons believe and tremble, right? So he would say, you have faith, good for you. The devil has faith and he trembles because of it. A, a little bit of a lighter example would be Jonah the prophet, right? I mean, he, he absolutely knows God. He resents God because he knew he was compassionate before God gave, forgave the people that he couldn't stand in Nineveh. And there's good reasons for Jonah to not like Nineveh, by the way. They had history with Israel. It was a cruel situation. Um, but you have to think about, is it possible for you to love God if he really loves the people that you despise right now, right? Um, and I, I've said before in a former message, if you can't accept God's love for your enemy, then you don't understand his love for you because we were his enemy at one point, right? He loves people, not because of who we are individually, but because he is love, right? That's what he does. Um, and so finally, the, the other reason why people um, might be on the fence about discipleship to Jesus and why people don't do what you ask them to do sometimes is because they just don't know how, right? I mean, they might have a decent picture. They may even want to, but they don't know how. And that's where most of this series has been uh, in these eight weeks is we're trying to figure out what it actually means to have the rubber hit the road and be a student of Jesus moment by moment. Um, Dallas Willard talks about how often you'll hear churches talk about having a devotional life, which is a specific type of habit, but it's often insulated from real life. And he says, you don't need to increase your devotional life. You need to have a life of devotion. And that's what we're talking about. How do we really do this? I've had to be patient with myself because there's not a ton of resources that really teach this. And so we're trying to figure that, this out as we go along. There's probably more than this, I'm sure, but three things we focused on in uh, the last few weeks with each other. Number one, um, one thing that Jesus did that allowed him to be who he was in relationship to God the Father was to follow the Holy Spirit by the direction of God the Father, right? And that is available to us too. That's, that's fantastic. We're not just trying to imitate Jesus. We're trying to keep in step with the Spirit as Jesus was. Like we're actually getting some of the help that he had. Uh, when Jesus was baptized and God announced that uh, this was his beloved son in whom he was well pleased, right after that glorious moment, Jesus is driven into the desert, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, driven by the Holy Spirit to, to be put in this situation, right? And so Jesus followed the Holy Spirit, He taught, and we can too. He talked all the time about how he only does what he sees his father doing. He tells us, without him we can do nothing. So this isn't like a task or a job we've been given to do. We're not some secret agent thrown into another country and figure it out when you get there, right? We have active help from the Holy Spirit whenever we want it, right? Whenever we're available to it. So leading to, uh, learning to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit is a huge part of this. Secondly, and I'm going to skim over this very quickly and focus on one at the end, uh, the core of what we talked about was developing some of the characteristics that Jesus has. There's certain virtues that he had 
um, outside of his divinity, right? I mean, obviously, we can't share that with Jesus. He has certain advantages that we don't have. Um, but Jesus was prayerful, right? That was the first thing we talked about. And it was because Peterson says, it is prayer that gets the following of Jesus into you, right? So Jesus' prayer life is obvious to the point where the disciples asked him, can you teach us how to pray? And so he gives them the Lord's Prayer. Um, Jesus is faithful, which we said is illustrated perhaps in the most peak way when he says in a critical moment where he's not quite lined up with God's desires perfectly. I want to be careful how I say that. But when he says, he's asking three times if there's a way that they can do this without the crucifixion. And finally, he says, not my will, but yours be done. Meaning it would have hurt Jesus more to not do what God wants than to actually go through the crucifixion, which was some of the most painful stuff to ever happen to a human being, right? And so Jesus is faithful. He says, not my will, but yours be done. A lot of discipleship is learning to desire the desires of God. Um, He's humble. He always has been, right? God has always been humble. Um, Dependent on God is the way we define humility and uh, the path being to grow our happiness of our dependence on God. Again, the demons believe that God is who he is and tremble. They resent him for it. There's a, a lot of people that resent that God is God, right? They know they're dependent, but they don't like it. Gratitude is the way that we increase our humility, which means instead of resenting God that we're dependent on him, thankfulness is saying, I want to realize how much more dependent on him I am because it assumes that he's good. It's not a shameful thing to be dependent on God. It's, it's a joyful thing when our heart is rewired to be humble enough and thankful enough to accept it. Then we talked about patience, kindness, and hope. Clearly, Jesus was patient. Uh, the word uh, in 1 Corinthians 13 about patience literally means long-suffering. In English, I always assumed it was kind of more of a waiting thing because my patience is mostly in traffic or waiting for the food to heat up or whatever. But the word patience, I think it's, it's very similar to like macrothumina or something. It literally, macro is like long, right? to suffer long while being kind. And I think that's generally, we're not there, but think about how great your life could be if you were able to be kind to other people and even yourself while suffering. That is an unusual thing um, and something that I'm not particularly good at this point, but Jesus was able to be that. And finally, hope. Uh, The scripture says that it was for the joy that was set before Jesus that he endured the cross, right? The, The hope for future joy, um, is, is what allowed him. He didn't just grit his teeth and tough it out. Um, he had hope that drove him. Um, and then, fi- okay, so we've got the following of the Holy Spirit is the essential part of being a disciple. And you could say that to be a disciple is so that you can follow the Holy Spirit better and remain in the presence of God. These characteristics, which you can practice in a variety of ways. You can, I've heard, you know, you can practice patience just by, I guess podcasts make this less difficult, but back in the day when the radio was playing whatever song there was and that's all you could listen to is a bigger deal. And like when your favorite song comes on, you're like, oh, cool. I've heard you could train yourself to be patient by turning it off in the middle of it, right? And just being like, I don't need to have that right now, right? Or waiting longer to have a meal. Like there's a bunch of ways that we don't consider spiritual, but can grow your patience with the Lord's help. And so all these things are important. Finally, um, again, directly outside of following the Holy Spirit and outside of developing virtue like a workout, the final goal is to actually do the specific things in your life as Jesus would in your position. Um, so I had a theology teacher at Southeastern who was on his wrestling team in high school and in college, 
And I remember him telling us one time that in high school they ran all the time. There's a lot of endurance and stamina, obviously, in wrestling. And so they'd run all the time to build this up. And he gets to college on the wrestling team and he says, how come we don't run? And the coach looked at him like he didn't understand what he was asking him. And he says, why would we run? He says, the way you get better at wrestling is by wrestling, right? And I would say that, I mean, like Willard said, there's plenty of people with devotional lives, but not a life of devotion. The life of devotion is when you see washing the dishes and doing the laundry and sending letters and budgeting and enjoying a movie with your kid and disciplining your kid in every part of life, the minutia and the big stuff as an opportunity to worship, right? And so there is just absolutely no replacement for turning these things into um, an opportunity to worship. And I think the way that we do that is by doing what Colossians 3.17 says, and that is in everything, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so that's the specific uh, characteristic I want to talk about here. It can be, I've mentioned a lot of stuff here. This is a very broad framework, but if you were to start trying today, how would I enact this tomorrow or tonight? I would say that I think one of the most helpful spiritual disciplines for me in the recent weeks is to do things for a different reason than I had before, right? That's what Brother Lawrence says, that um, being a Christian isn't necessarily doing a bunch of different things. It's doing the same things you were doing, but for a different reason, okay? And so if you reflect, at least this is true in my life, subconsciously, if nothing else, sometimes intentional, many of the things that I have done in my life have either been done to improve or maintain my opinion of myself or maintain or improve others' opinion of me. And this is like important, right? I mean, like reputation is worth more than money. We need to prove that we're trustworthy people. But we're, talk we're not talking about ignoring that stuff necessarily, but we're talking about going beyond it. And instead of the motive for the things we do that we, that we used to do, either because of the direct enjoyment of the thing itself or to prove to others and ourselves that we're trustworthy people, there is the possibility. This is an odd idea, I know. I'm trying to get it more concrete in my own mind, but I'm excited about this. I think that it's possible to move beyond doing the things we normally do to improve uh, others' opinion of us or our opinion of us to raising our opinion of God. So I didn't say uh, aim for God's approval of us. He already died for you. You're not going to like add to your value, okay, because the shed blood of Jesus blows all of any accomplishments we ever make out of the water, right? He's going to be the hero in heaven. Um, but so instead, what we can do is raise our esteem of God in every single thing we do. And the word for th that, I think, is gratitude, right? Um, so doing everything with the aim to be thankful, so it doesn't necessarily mean you're thankful for every single awful thing that happens in life, but it means that you do figure out it triggers some amount of gratitude to God in whatever situation we're in. And so this really isn't complicated. Like what I've begun to do is I try to aim for meals, but around lunchtime, if I'm driving somewhere or something, just reviewing the day and saying, what even happened today, right? Because I tend to move quickly and not reflect. But to be able to think of different things that happened that day um, and, and thank God for it. The reason, now again, 
Um, I don't want this to sound trite. Please don't mistake this for you know, the secular versions of this that are saying, if you have a gratitude journal, your mood will go, up, will go up, you'll become more optimistic. That's nice, I want that to happen, I want your mood to improve, but we're not talking about just trying to make us feel better in a difficult time. I'm talking about godliness, or meaning we're not just aiming for contentment here from gratitude, we're aiming for godliness plus contentment. And so godliness is going, it means to raise your esteem of God. And when you're thankful for concrete things that actually happened in your life, not theoretical stuff, not theological terms that are really hard to get into your bones, but realizing I'm not just thankful for my wife, I'm thankful for that conversation with my wife. I'm not just thankful for my kids, I'm thankful for that 10 minutes of watching a movie with them. Um, I'm not just thankful for this day, right? We say that in prayer, thank you for this day. I say it, it's good but we need to think about the particular parts of that day. The reason I think this is so important is because, um, you know, the Westminster Confession says, uh, the chief end of humankind is to glorify God by enjoying him or, and enjoy him forever. John Piper combines the two, and I think he's right. He says, the chief end of humankind is to glorify God by enjoying him. You, if you enjoy something, you're glorifying it, right? You're proving that you prefer it over other things. The problem is that most of us don't know how to do that. I've asked that question, what is it? I believe God is more enjoyable than all he has made. That's something Piper says. But how do you do that? How do you experience the enjoyment of God? Because God is too big, right? I mean, there's too much of him. Ephesians 3 talks about how he has love that surpasses knowledge, which means you're going to be in it and understand that it's there, but be overwhelmed by it. How do you process it? And um, it's similar to uh, a limitation on the human mind, okay? They call Dunbar's number. And what it basically says is that your brain is big enough to where maybe if you're a really special person, you know, like particularly social, there might be more than 250 people in your life that you really have a relationship with that you track. For most people, it's 250 is the max. And if, uh, th what they say is there's 50 people in your life that if they passed away, you would actually cry. Now, this doesn't mean we're bad or unloving. It just means that we're limited. We can't pay attention to that much. We have a hard time processing even the people we can see. So how do we learn to internalize the goodness of God, to concretely trust not just the wisdom of God that can provide us what we need, but the love of God that used his wisdom to provide us with what we need and what is extra generous, um, and that's gratitude. Meaning, when I say, you know, I enjoy this particular thing or this particular thing. In contrast, I realize as great as that was, the, fat, the peak of that experience is that it is a gift from the Lord, right? And in suffering moments, all this is really a bummer, right? However, the good news is that in his presence is the fullness of joy and his presence is with you. And the only thing missing is our ability to enjoy it. And I think that gratitude as a habit will be really fantastic. Um, it's a type of prayer, gratitude is, um, and uh, I'll, I'll end with this and then pray. Um, when Eugene Peterson was getting uh, close to the end of his life, very slow, he was always careful when he would talk anyway, but uh, he was tired, and uh, he was asked um, what his prayer life was like. He's pastor for 40 years or something, and he's, he thought about it, and he says, you know, he says, I think that uh, I'm beginning to pray without even knowing that I'm praying. 
And uh, I think that's absolutely, that's a beautiful thing. That's where I want to be. I think there's a lot of freedom there. I, as I reflected on this and thought about yesterday, I thought it would be really cool if we could just be thanking God all the time and just not even necessarily know we're doing it, right? It being such a characteristic part. And what does that assume? It assumes that your affection for God is increasing as you're thanking him. It assumes that your confidence in his goodness and presence to you is there. It's increasing, right? Um, so anyways, I hope this is helpful to you guys. Email me if you have any questions or ideas or reservations or disagreements. I'd love to hear them. Um, we love you guys. I'm going to pray us out. Um, Lord, I am... I'm so thankful for this opportunity that is equally given to all human beings everywhere, that um, you're not interested in us because of what we can do for you, which means the less talented or uh, whatever are excluded, right? We are blessed, the scripture says, because you are with us, right? And so I pray that you would um, move on the hearts of the people. I pray that this would bother uh, preconceived notions. This would cause us to reflect um, anything that's holding us back from becoming your student, I pray that you would help, you would expose it, you would show it to us so that we could bring it to you in prayer. Uh, we love you. We'll talk to you soon. In Jesus' name, amen.